Uh, we're going to dismiss Children's Church at this time. That's kindergarten through third grade. Thank you, Emily and Kenna, for serving us in that way. Uh, for the rest of you, we have something. Uh, I thought I was done with the parenting series that we had been doing. And then Dan Engstrom came to me and said, hey, I think there's a facet uh, that we missed. And I said, well, yeah, there's more than one. But then he said something magical. Could I teach on one? And I said, yeah. So if you thought, hey, you missed one, how come you didn't teach on that? No. If you want to teach on it, come and talk to me. And I would love to hear what you have to say. So Dan, if you would come on up. Dan came and said, hey, there's this one part that's really important to me and my family, and I would love to share with the body. Uh, and so today he's going to do that. And so would you just join me in praying God's blessing on Dan this morning? Lord Jesus, we have come to meet with you. I believe that you have placed this message on Dan's heart. And so Lord, I pray that you would deliver it powerfully to us that your Holy Spirit would rest on him, and Lord, it wouldn't be his words or his thoughts or his ideas, but it would be you speaking to your people this morning. So come and move as only you can. We welcome you. In Jesus' name, amen. I said to Bryce when I taught at the university, I was used to speaking in like three-hour segments. Does that work okay? And we decided maybe not. Um, but as an educator, I'd like kind of do a pretest, post-test. So here's the pretest. Raise your hand if you or somebody in your family was adopted. Okay, great. We'll fix that. So my goal today is this. My goal after this is that you are absolutely blown away that if you are in Christ, you were adopted. And I want to draw a parallel because my wife and I are blessed to have adopted a child from India. I want to draw the parallel from some of what we've had with her to what does it look like to be adopted in Christ. So I want to begin um, by reading Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. And as I do that, I want to really make it clear. The purpose of this is primarily so you understand what it looks like to be adopted in Christ. There are some people that the Lord has laid on their heart to adopt a child from domestically or to adopt a child internationally. I am not, absolutely not trying to convince you to do that. But if the Lord laid that on your heart at the end of this, I'm going to put my cell phone number and my email address if you want to chat about that. Or if you just want to chat about something from the sermon. Or I just love coffee and you want to get together and have a cup of coffee, you're free to contact me and we can go down that road. Romans chapter 8 verses 14 to 17. For all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption by sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that he, we may be glorified with him. So I want to begin with just a picture and introduce you to our family. This picture was about 13 years ago, so uh, I didn't have gray hair at that point, but sometimes four kids, one international adoption, and craziness at the Angstrom home will do that to you. Um, so you can see Rhonda and I. Uh, the tiny little girl behind me is Danielle. Danielle is now a junior at Toccoa Falls College. She'll be back in a couple weeks. In front of her is Isaiah. He graduates from Ohio State next Sunday. Um, on 
the left is Joel. Joel helped me with his sermon a little bit because he is in seminary down in Charlotte, and between Joel and Isaiah is Maya. This is about a year after we adopted Maya from India. So last week, Brian talked about what it means to be a child of God, what it means to look at our identity in Christ. And I think it's important that we build on some of what he said, because the adoption, if we don't understand what it means to be adopted in Christ, it really helps us, if we do understand that, it really helps us to understand what does our identity in Christ then look like. So our identity in Christ, as Brian talked about yesterday, is shaped by our culture, it's shaped by our parents, it's shaped by our family, it's shaped by our friends, it's shaped where we went to school, it's shaped who we interacted with, and it really shapes what our worldview is. More on that another day. But as an adopted child, all of us, if we're in Christ, we come into this family of God with a really warped perspective on what life is. We come into a family... If we've adopted a child, that child comes into a family with a really sometimes warped and crazy perception of what is a family. And I want to share this with you because I want to be really careful because there is a belief out there that people come into the family of Christ because of who they are. I've given a lot of money. My parents were Christians, and therefore I must be. I've done this, I've done this. When Rhonda and I worked at the youth group, this is BK, before kids, uh, in Indiana, Pennsylvania, we encountered a young lady who came to us after youth group one day and she said, I disagree with you. I'm a Christian because my parents. I said, no, you're not. And I've since learned you don't argue with a 12 and 13 year old. She said, yes, I am. I said, no, you're not. <laughs> And we talked through that a little bit. And on the way home, I clearly remember exactly where we were, Ron and I talking with each other. And we said, this girl's going to have some challenges because she doesn't understand, A, what it means to be, in, be a believer in Christ, and B, she doesn't understand what it means to be in the family of God. And uh, if you look at track her life, she had some challenges. So one of the things that, um, as, as we talked through that with, with that young lady, and I'm not going to say her name, I was kind of reminded of how does one come into the family of God? And I'm just going to read a, a short part. Um, Chris is going to put all of John chapter 3, uh, the first, verse, first eight verses up there. But when Jesus encountered Nicodemus, Nicodemus asked, how, how does one... Um, um, basically, how does one become part of, of the family? Jesus answered, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again? How can he enter his, womb, his mother's womb a second time? Jesus answered, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water, and this is the important part, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. What is important in this verse is we can't naturally be born into the family of God. It is impossible. The only way that you get into the family of God is through adoption. So let me ask the question again. How many of you 
know someone in your family or you yourself were adopted. Yeah, okay, good, good post-test post answers there. So with us, the process of adoption with Maya, um, actually, interestingly enough, took about nine months. Uh, in 2007, we started praying about adopting, and we had, had always on our heart to adopt from China because we lived in China for a year. And an interesting thing happened in 2008 in China where the Olympics in China was very famous for there'll be no adoptions because everything is wonderful and uh, that God changed that path a little bit. So we were approved by an organization called Holt International, probably one of the absolute best organizations I've ever been involved in. We met with a social worker. Social worker asked us questions. We failed the questions the social worker asked us. I can tell you more about those privately. Um, but really helped us understand some things as parents. We went through a child selection process, and we were approved for that for what's called a waiting child. And a waiting child was an older child, Maya was six and a half when we adopted her, or a child that has some, some kind of special needs. We were matched with Maya in October, and we found out that Maya had a desire to change her name because her Indian name is Gidija-A. What in the world? Why would you name a kid Dash A? It's, I'm going to guess there was another Gidija, and that person was Dash B, and the next one would be Dash C. So we were approved to travel. Late February 2008, we flew to New Delhi. We were there, then we flew to Pune, uh, which is where Maya was adopted from. And Pune is, is about an hour and a half uh, east of Bombay. We visited the orphanage. We went before a judge, um, and then we traveled back home. And that's where Maya's whole life began to change. And I want you to think about the parallel for a new believer, right? So we flew into New York City. Our plane was canceled because of a snowstorm, so we rented a car and drove home. We were driving through Bedford and on Route 80, uh, or on 76, and Maya fell asleep, and Maya woke up in Somerset. Well, Somerset in March, it's snow. She had never felt probably colder than 75 degrees. And she looked out and it's all covered in white. It'd be like if we walked out and everything around us was covered in purple. What in the world? Where am I? So we drive home, pull in the driveway like a really good dad. I picked up some snow and I showed it to her like, here, experience snow. And she screamed her head off because she was petrified because she had no idea what it was. Oh, well, back in Bedford or so, I had called my mom and I said, Mom, can you please make some food? We are really hungry. And she said, absolutely. I get home and Mom had made meatloaf. I said, great, Mom. They don't eat beef in India. She's like, oh, right. So we sat down. That's one of our, we have so many odd stories. We sat down at the table and Maya looked and she, she's looking at this big blob of meat. She goes, this fish, eh? Yeah, it's fish, just eat it. <laughs> but she had never experienced that. All the things that she was seeing, all the things that she was feeling, all the things that she was experiencing, all the things that people were saying to her, all the things that people were showing her, telling her, were completely foreign. I want you to think for a minute what it's like for somebody who's not a believer to come in here 
all the things they see, they may have never seen. They've never heard. They don't know what worship is. If we have communion, they don't know what that is. If we, if, you know, if we talk about what the things the Lord said, that's completely foreign to them. And I think sometimes it's important for us to remember that we need to take a perspective for new believers that we encounter here or out in the world that it's a completely different world for them. Maya was seeing a world in a completely different perspective. So on March 11th, 2009, Maya officially became a citizen. As we went through the, uh, the adoption process, um, we realized that this was going to be a long process. Much like as a believer who's adopted in Christ, it's a long process. So let me go back to Romans chapter 8 for a minute. For all you who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In verse uh, 8. But you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I want you to think about that for a minute. What is like to live under a spirit of slavery? One, you are not part of a family. You are owned by that. Two, you have no inheritance in that. You are essentially property. Three, you do what is asked of you. You do what you are told to do. I think a lot of believers in my life, I can see times where I have lived in a spirit of slavery. And very, very clearly it says in verse 8, you, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We don't live in a, a life of fear if we're in the life of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we don't fear things, but we don't have to live as a spirit of slavery where we're always thinking, oh my goodness, God doesn't like that. He's just going to zap me and I'm gone. Oh my goodness, I'm going to... We don't live that way. In verse 16, uh, I'm sorry, the rest of verse 15. But... If you want a great Bible study sometime, just do a word study on the word but. But God, but Christ, but Jesus. But. It's amazing how God intervened in all these things. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are not slaves. We are adopted children. What does that look like? Well, one, in that verse, it says that um, you do not receive it. You received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That Abba, Father is, is a very intimate, personal relationship. No slave would ever be able to say to their master, Abba, Father, because they have no intimate relationship. They're property. They're property of fear. But as believers... We have a spirit of adoption, which means we can go before the Lord and say, Dad, I'd like to talk about this. We don't have to have any grandiose words. We don't have to have anybody go before us. I don't, no offense, Bryce. I don't need to go to Bryce to say, can you go talk to God about this for me? Because Bryce, <laughs> Bryce will say amen, but Bryce will also say, you can do that. 
because you are adopted into a family and you can call the father Abba. Dad, I'd like to talk about this. You don't need to be in a special place. You don't need to be with special people. It can be any time. I loved what you were sharing about. God cares about those small things. It may be a small meeting, a small conversation with somebody. Hey, Dad, help me out with this. My voice is a little raspy because I had to umpire a 9- and 10-year-old baseball game yesterday. And uh, that was way too much fun. A slave would never refer to their master as Abba. I've got to give Joel the credit for this next part. We sometimes try to perform to get God to accept and love us more. But as, adopt, as an adopted child, we don't need to prove ourselves. Quote Joel. This is a huge point. I would say a few sentences about this. Here's an idea. And I'm just going to steal it from him. So when we adopted Maya, her status as a daughter was never in jeopardy. Even if she disobeyed, even if she lied to us, even if she said, I hate you, I don't want to be your daughter, she was our daughter. It was never in jeopardy. When you are truly adopted into Christ's family, your status is never in jeopardy. You don't need to impress the Lord. You don't need to try to do things to say, look how good I am. It's not in jeopardy. You're his child. But at the same time, on the flip side, we expected Maya to obey the rules that we had in our family because she represented our family. We have this joke in our family about representing the Angstrom family name, and it came from this. My grandmother, uh, I grew up in Youngsville, Pennsylvania, way up in northwest Pennsylvania. If we were going on a date, I'd say, Grandma, I'm going on a date. She's, she would point at me with a crooked finger for some reason. Don't you forget the name you represent. Yeah, okay, Grandma, I don't think I should even go on this date. I'm just, should, okay. But it's become kind of a family thing, and in a way, it's very true. We wanted Maya to obey because we were her parents. We wanted Maya to grow to trust and love us. And there were times that we had to say, Maya, that's not right for our family. The parallel is, at the same time, God expects us and wants us to follow what he's outlined in Scripture for us. He wants us to, to love him. He wants us to follow the rules he set out. He wants us to grow and to trust in who he is. Because that's part of what a relationship is. God calls us to a holy life and to holy living. And what's fascinating about this, it's a process. The week we adopted Maya, she didn't say, oh, good, I'm so here. Well, she couldn't have, she didn't speak a lot of English. We didn't speak a lot of Marathi. But let's pretend she did. She didn't say, okay, I'm just going to follow all the rules. I'm just going to do everything you asked me to do. Everything's going to be light. It's not that way. It's a process with her. It's a process with us. As we grow in the Lord, we begin to say, oh, yes, I get it. I'm going to do that, follow that, because I am your son, because I am your daughter, not because I fear you. Because we do not have a spirit of slavery. We have a spirit of adoption as sons of the Lord. This is said later also, um, actually, no, let me go back. Verse 16, the spirit also bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer in him in order that we may be glorified with him. As an adopted child, Maya has the same rights as an heir as our other three children. As an adopted child in Christ, so do you. Paul reiterates this in, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So Chris is going to put up Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. I'm sorry, 3 to 10. And I'm going to read it. And then I'm going to ask you to pick out some of the things that detail what the blessings are that we have as adopted children. Let me read verses 3 to, through 10. Praise be to God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In, he, in, in him we are predestined for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will and pleasure, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely has given to us in the one he he loves. In him we have redemption through the blood, forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he'd made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. So my question to you is, because uh, it's very clear in verse 5, um, that he predestined us to adoption and sonship. In those verses, as adopted children, what are some of the blessings that you see? Just, this is one of those times that you just shouted out. Grace. Grace, yep. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Spiritual, blessings. Spiritual blessings. We are chosen. We are blameless. We are, we are his pleasure to do his will. It is free. There's no cost. It's already given. He loves us. I love the word. He has lavished these on us. It's not like, okay, a little bit for you, a little bit for you, a little bit. He has, he has poured this out on us. We are redeemed. We are predestined. Okay, so a little time out on that one. If you'd like to sit down and discuss all that that means, I'm probably not going to do that because I don't understand all of it. And that's okay. One of my favorite verses is in Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words in his law. This is one of those things where I say, Lord, I don't understand what that means to be chosen and predestined from the beginning of time. And but that's okay. It's one of your secret things. I'm good with that. What else? Any more things that you see in this? Wisdom and understanding. Look at verse 10. To be put into effect when the times reach for fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. The unity of Elkins Alliance Church is the people that you see 
here. This is our family. This is a small part of our family because there is a much larger family, part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. There's a much, much larger family of all those people on this world that um, call themselves followers of Christ. So finally, I'd like to take a second to consider some really practical things uh, that we have dealt with, and then we're going to have a really short panel um, that we've dealt with through the adoption process with Maya that are very similar to the challenges that a new believer might face understanding what does it mean to be adopted. So one of the first things we wrestled with is what is a family? Well, it's a mom, it's a dad, it's a grandma, grandpa, aunt, uh, no idea what that meant. Completely foreign concept. Never had a mom, no idea who dad is. So we had to help her understand what does it mean to be part of a family? Imagine somebody comes in here and this weekend they had accepted Christ and they said, Elkins Lions Church, what does it mean to be part of this family? Same, exact same parallel. We dealt with Maya a lot on lying is wrong. Now, you can insert whatever uh, sin in there, but as new believers, we sometimes are, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. It's a process. For Maya, it was protection. If I'm on the playground and that kid gets hurt because I beat them up and I lie about it, and that kid gets in trouble, that's a win. And trying to help somebody understand that's not right, but yes, it is. I didn't get beat. That's a long, long process. For a new believer who says, yeah, but because I've done this and this, it's given me this advantage in life is a real, real challenge. We struggled a lot with how do I trust these people? For many adopted children, it's very common that if you go into their bedroom, you will see a pile of food hidden somewhere. We had plenty of food. Our kids did tell us later in life that they never liked that we didn't have snacks in our house. We still think we did have snacks. It's just not ones that they liked. But she would gather up food and hide it because she's in her mind, she thought, uh, am I ever going to have enough? These nice people, do they have enough food for me? So if not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal some. I'm just going to hide it because I don't know if I can trust them. As somebody new to the faith, they have no clue if they can trust you. They don't know who you are. They may know you as a friend. But they don't know what does it mean to be in a trusting, loving family relationship here. Maya struggled with, and if you remember from the picture, I don't look like these people. I did some very interesting discussions I can share with you privately sometime, but she really struggled with that. And there are some people that if they walked into this assembly, this body today, they'd be like, I don't look like these people. I don't act like these people. I don't dress like these people. I don't, I don't know where I fit in. And unfortunately, sometimes the church has said, you know what? You don't fit in. Maybe find somewhere else. Shame on us. And as we think about people who come in here, they may not look, act, talk, dress like us, but that's okay. 
The other thing is, my really struggle with is, why? Why did you adopt me? Why didn't you adopt me earlier? Now think about that. Some of you were saved later in life and you may struggle with, God, why did you let me go through all of this when you could have really moved in my heart when I was eight or 10 years old? Maybe he did, but that's a real struggle. We had one conversation um, with, with a psychologist that we were working with and Maya said to her, I don't understand why it took them so long. So we talked through that. We said, Maya, we didn't know you were out there. It was a long process. And then she said, okay, where'd you get the other three kids from? <laughs> I said, it's a great question. Go talk to your mother. And I'd, she'd be happy to explain. So uh, Chris is going to put up 13 years later, this is what we're like now, getting bigger, uh, more, I shouldn't say, I, I may have added a couple pounds here and there. Um, in the middle between Isaiah and Danielle is Monica. That's Isaiah's fiance. They're gonna get married in a year plus or so. Missing from the picture, Joel imagined to his right is Michaela. Uh, that's his wife, they will be married two years in July. But it's gone through a lot of change. I looked back at my life when I was accepted, when I accepted Christ at Mission Meadows when I was in eighth or ninth grade. Oh my goodness. Look at what the Lord has done through me through this adoption process. So I'd like to, to just, before we uh, call up the panel, actually they can start coming up. Uh, and I'll just have two questions for them, and you know who you are. I want you to really think about Romans 8.15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back in fear, but you received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we're going to do just two questions. And, and I said to Bryce, now I get to be the one asking the questions, and he's the one that gets to answer. So we're going to do just two questions unless we have time for another one or if you want to ask one. First question is, talk about what you have seen the Lord do in your life throughout this whole process. Uh, I can't sit. Um, and, and what is interesting is we have all adopted children very differently. Some domestic, some with special needs, some international, some older, some younger. But what have you seen the Lord do in um, your life through this whole process? I will call All on. right, I'll go first, I guess. Since everyone's just staring at each other, I'll, I'll kick it off. Um, a lot of what you just shared, Dan, so thank you. Um, I've gotten to see uh, the redemption of time that Theo lived for five months by himself in a hospital bed without me, and I've ha he's redeemed that through, through suffering, times I've been able to be in the hospital with him. Not really where I'd chosen, but but seeing that be a blessing and a sweetness um, and part of what's needed. I've seen um, he had to teach him how to cry when he got heard that it was okay to cry. And 
the Lord just showed me what to do. He used to hurt. Um, well, when he was really little, it was the easiest baby never cried, right? But it's a problem, right? That's what they do. They're supposed to do. It's the only way they communicate. So when he had a little bit more mobility, he would fall, get hurt, and put, and he would not. He didn't want me to touch him. I couldn't hold him. I couldn't. He would just, no, no, and he wouldn't. And I just, God just told me, get down, sit where you are, and tell him, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And I had to watch what I do to God when I'm hurt. And I'm like, why would you let this happen? And why does it feel this way? And, and he never left. And it wasn't him that wasn't, you know, trying to embrace me. Just like all I wanted was to hold him and say, it's okay. Let me see. You're bleeding. Let me help. And, he, and I just had to sit there and wait till eventually, not the first time, not the second time, I don't know. He came to me then you know, and I could hold him, and that, that's when he would start to cry. It was only when he would come to me, and so I've got to see that. Um, <clears throat> I think for me, thinking about these questions, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, I don't know if I should be up here, <laughs> um, but I think it is a process. I think our eyes were opened um, to what it's like to bring in a child into your home that has trauma that you don't fully understand. And I am a fixer by nature. And that causes frustration and pride when I can't fix it right then or I don't know what the problem is because with your own child that you birth, you kind of know their their history. And um, I think what God is showing me is that even though I don't feel qualified and equipped, I am. Because through this process, I'm helping him. I'm helping him with the trauma. Um, even if I don't know the answer, I'm able to find somebody who can help him with it. So it's showed me that... I am equipped already, even though I don't know I have the tools, I'm ready to pull them out when I need to, um, and that I need to trust the process and not try to fix it on my own. Um, <clears throat> for me, it was uh, that the Beatles lied. They said, all you need is love, and that's not true. <laughs> no. Um, no, you do need love, but my love, I was naive enough to think that, oh, love will fix him. That's all he needs is somebody to love him and care for him provide for him which he does need that but he needs God's love too and um, I need to show and model that to him that this is what love is that love is here when you're hurt love is here when you're upset love is here when you need something um, being the person to share your fear with to just uh, break down those barriers of distrust um, like, like you were talking about can I trust these people are they going to hurt me are they going to leave me again? Are they going to take me and drop me off somewhere like before? Are they going to be there when I come home? When we go on a trip, are we coming back home? Or am I going to get left somewhere else? Just um, to be able to humble myself before God and say that, yeah, my love is not enough, but yours is. Yeah, I think um, for me it was, I mean, similar, but as with a six-year-old who kind of, 
rejected, didn't want hugged, didn't want love, so similar to what Kim was saying. Um, and especially with me more than with Dan, um, kind of told that there were a lot of women who left Maya. It's hard to love through constant rejection. And I think that's what I had to learn. Um, and I had to give over that expectation. She would attach quickly to many people, but she would like to distance me and never wanted me to know that she did love me. And that was tough. But I think that's a picture of God loving us before we really recognize his love for us and always being there. For me, the, you kept talking about the process. And with Theo, many of you know Theo, he is at his own pace. And one of the, when we first brought him home, every doctor, every specialist loved to show us charts. And here's how far behind he is you know, and here's how underweight he is, and here's how delayed he is. <laughs> Most doctors, yeah, uh, they loved those charts, and it was always, here's how far behind, here's how far behind, here's how far behind. Um, and as he grew, we just learned, like, he is on his own journey. I could care less whether he reads by the time he's in fourth grade or college or I, I don't care. Um, I've really just learned to like love him where he's at. And that's then opened my eyes to all of my children. And the Lord has really then given me the ability to see like, see, that's what I'm like with you. Because as soon as I mess up the second time, I'm like, he told me once, how could I do this twice? What is wrong with me? You know, and just he began to show me his patience for me and going, I'm, I didn't expect you to get it perfect. And that, I loved you anyway. I knew you wouldn't get it perfect. And it's okay. Um, and it, we, it's easy to compare. And we look and we go, look how good they're doing. And look at what they're doing. And look at what they're doing. And he's like, you're not running the race they're running. You're on your own race. And he's taught me to be patient with myself uh, through that. And so it's cool in it, parenting, period. But especially in adoption, there's a unique thing where you not only see how God views you, but at least for me, there's been a special way of learning to view other people the way that God views them as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just been a really uh, precious gift. So the, the second question is, what have you seen the Lord do in maybe your family or the child you've adopted or something like that? And as you think about that, I'm going to share one on behalf of us. So um, Maya not only has some developmental delays, but being six and a half, living in an orphanage her entire life, the, the care that a child gets when they're very, very young impacts their brain development significantly. When you never have that, there's a lot of triggers, synopsis that just don't connect. Uh, reading is very difficult for her. Sometimes making logical sense on things is very difficult for her. And kind of our goal, primary goal, was we got to get her to graduate from high school. And um, I should let you answer. Uh, so in December, she'll graduate from Cal. So it's been amazing how she's had to adapt, 
the friendships she's built, the friendships that have crumbled around her, how she's come back from that, but it's all a process. So I'm gonna stop trying to answer these questions. I don't know who wrote these questions. <laughs> I'm gonna go first, because I wanna hear you guys' answers, but uh, we found a cheat code. Uh, if you feel called to adopt, just adopt a kid with special needs. Um, they all have special needs, but with this, people with Down syndrome connect very easily. And one of the most difficult things when it comes to adoption is typically attachment. Um, and that's something that we've never had to deal with. Uh, we've been in the hospital more than most of you combined. Um, we've had more parent-teacher meetings and all of that, but those are the things that we look at as a small price to pay. And so we've been very grateful for that, that he has attached so quickly to our family and our family has attached so quickly to him. Um, but one of the things that it has brought out just in our family is we've learned the little joys. Like no matter what's happening, good day, bad day, he's insane. And he does something that just kind of stops us in our tracks and we go, it's okay. You know, and like, so that's just been this gift to our family of just joy. Uh, most of you see him come up and dance and worship and he's doing that literally 24 hours a day. And so it's hard to stay mad in our house for very long. And that's just been a huge gift to us. Um, for me, uh, I can remember, so one of the things I enjoy doing is reading to the boys before we go to bed and praying with them. And our family was always, we weren't afraid to tell each other we loved each other. I mean, it was just, all right, every time we got off the phone, all right, love you, Mom, love you too, love you, Dad, love you too. We were just always communicating that, and, and um, it was hard for me because here's this super cute, awesome, cool, crazy kid, and I'm reading to him, and I'm hugging him. I'm saying, all right, good night, bud. I love you, and he'd look up and say, okay, and he he was fine with that. You know, he didn't know just, yeah, that's what it was for, I don't know, months and um, probably a year. Uh, or felt like a year, longer than a year. Anyway, um, just, and now I can read with him, pray with him, tell him I love him, and he'll look up and say, love you too, Dad. And just to see that growth um, that he's, the hurt's still there. I, we still get the questions, why didn't they love me? Why didn't they take care of me? Um, and all we can do is just keep showing up and saying, I love you too, bud. And for him to be able to reciprocate that back now, um, it just, yeah, that's one of the things that I treasure or have seen change. So um, we adopted him. Well, he came into our life um, f at four years and 10 months. With fear, but not fear like a biological child. Brantley, if we went to Walmart and he lost me, he would be terrified because he lost me and I'm his person. Xander was never connected to a person, so he would be gone. Never have fear because he was never connected. He never had that bond with a mother, a grandmother, or anything like that. So his fear was different. His fear was, I'm not going to get food, and so he would be screaming at me as I'm standing making dinner, crying, screaming, I'm hungry. And I'm like, okay, it's coming. You know, so now he doesn't. He has, and that's a God thing. I mean, we just show up like we're supposed to. But um, so flash forward, he's going to be nine 
in a week. Um, his person was Brantley because he never had a brother. He had a mom and a dad that hurt him and a grandma, so he never really bonded with us or trusted us. His person was Brantley. He would literally scream if Brantley left the room and he didn't know it. Where's Brantley? Where's Brantley? Where's Brantley? Which causes a lot of stress when Brantley has his own life and his own friends and his own things to do. But now, he, Brantley could be gone at baseball and he wouldn't even care. Like, he is good. Um, and that's a God thing. Um, we stopped therapy May a year ago because the therapist said he's kind of hit a part where he's good. Like, we're going to discharge him for right now, and there would be a point where he needs to come back and process more things. Three months ago, I looked at him and I said, do you realize life is kind of okay? <laughs> like, I don't have to, like, preemptively be like, okay, this is where we're going. This is who's going to be there. I'm going to pick you up at this time. Like, he is trusting us as a family unit now. He, Brantley could be at Cub Scouts. Brantley could be at JP's. Brantley could be wherever, and he's okay. Um, now it's... Well, if I have this, and this is what family is, why did they not want me? So we, he's can verbalize that now. Like, that is a total God thing, that he can verbalize, I have feelings and thoughts, but I don't know how to deal with it, and I need, you know, and so we're going to go back to therapy, which... I felt good after that conversation with the therapist because she's like, catch me up on everything that's happened since the year I've seen him. And we're like, da-da-da-da-da. And she goes, within 15 minutes, you can get him to verbalize why he's upset, why he's fearful, why he's worried. When before, it would take three days, minimum. She's like, that's amazing. And that's not us. That's a total God thing. Friday, we went, not Friday, Friday, we went to the Clay Center. And I, he, anytime you go somewhere out of his normal routine, he's going to be hyper- He's going to be hypervigilant anyway because he's worried, you know, and that's lessened, but he still has that. And when we got him in the car to drive home, I said, what's going on? I said, something, your face, you just whatever. And he said, mom, he said, um, Nate is a new student in his class who came about a week and a half ago. And he's like me, mom. And I said, what do you mean, buddy? He's like you. He got taken from his family. So now we had to, like, talk through him because he is so empathetic towards this kid. And I looked at him afterwards, and I said, do you think he's ever going to have, like, survivor's remorse? Like, because he is in a good family, and he is getting the healing that he needs and the therapy and all that. Do you think there's ever going to be a point where maybe he is a therapist or and has that remorse of, like, I survived and I did well and these kids aren't? So he is almost nine, trying to figure out how to make this other child feel better. Um, and that's a God thing. Once again. All right, so I'm going to close, but I want to give kind of a word of encouragement to all of you and kind of also a word of caution. And I'm going to speak for the six of us. I find it interesting. Sometimes we meet people and they say, oh, my goodness, you are just so wonderful. You're so blessed because you've adopted. That hurts sometimes because it is hard. And we're no more blessed than any of you. It's just a process the Lord laid on our hearts. Um, we've had some, I won't share them, um, but uh, as talking to all of us, 
we've had some people come up and say some things where we just go, oh my goodness, I can't believe you just asked me that question. I can't believe you just said that. Um, I say that to you for this. Our children are our children. We have four. Maya is no different than Isaiah, Joel, or Danielle. She is part of us. She is part of our family. We don't treat her now, 14 years later, any different than we treat the other ones. She has triggers. She has issues. She has things. But as you approach our families with our kids, just know they are no different. They're just part of our family. You're a little unique, a little crazy. And sometimes we just scratch our heads saying, what in the world did that just mean? So, Bryce, do you want to close this in prayer? Yeah, Lord Jesus, I thank you. As Darren was sharing, just the reminder of our adoption in Christ. Uh, Lord, it's better news than any one of us deserves. That we have been adopted in, we have been lavished on, we have been blessed. We are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Everything Jesus has access to, we have access to. Thank you, Lord. May we live out of this adoption. Lord, in those times when the fear sets in, when, as Dan was sharing, the, is there going to be enough? Can I really trust him? When those things set in, Holy Spirit, may you remind us of our adoption. We are part of the family of God, and we have access to every blessing the Father has. May we live out of this, and may, may our world around us be different because of it. May they see something in us that they're jealous of. God, I have to imagine every person not adopted into the family of Christ longs for that in their heart. May they see what they long for lived out in us. And God, may we be free to invite them into a family dinner, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Up on the slide is my contact information. If you want to chat, there's my cell phone, there's my email, grab a cup of coffee. We can talk about how wonderful the pirates are doing. We can talk about adoption. We can talk about woodworking. We can talk about whatever you like. Um, send me an email. Give me a text. I'd be happy to uh, sit down, Ron and I, with you.